Hi, I'm Roy Crown from Revelation Trust, and I'm so pleased that you are joining me for another episode of Gospel Entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I'll be finding out what makes Christian entrepreneurs stand out, whether they're in church, business, or community. And today, I'm thrilled to have my great friend, Andy Hawthorne. We've done so much together, Festival Manchester, Soul in the City, Hope 08, and he continues to step out in being entrepreneurial with the gospel. He works for the Message Trust, and that's just some of the things that we've done together. So sit back, enjoy a conversation with my good friend, Andy Hawthorne. Andy, just to get things going, before you did ministry, you were a bit entrepreneurial in some of the things you did. So it's kind of in your DNA, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, but I think so. I, you know, I, I am definitely by nature a salesman. So when I was 19, set up a fashion business with my brother and we grew that and built that. And it was really that business uh, we were doing, when I say mainly fashion accessories, then we started to do jackets and had big embroidery machines and just grew a business in inner city Manchester, not really for any better reason. That's where we got the best grants. So we had a decent sized factory employing dozens of mainly young people, lots of young men in inner city Manchester. And the sort of history of the message tracks back to that business where in 1987, you now our theory is Lady Diana wore a pair of our braces. You know, braces were in fashion for women back then and Lady Diana wore a pair and it was the Diana effects. Next day, every girl in Britain had to have a pair. So we had orders for millions of these braces overnight. So we borrowed money off the bank, bought loads of brace machinery, employed loads of scallies from our local estate. And they were such a nightmare with vandalism and violence. And suddenly the word got out in Longsight, inner city Manchester, that here was this factory with all these cool jackets and fashion stuff. And so we were having break-ins all the time. It was chaos. And we were most nights, not most nights, but, you know, several times a week we'd be getting calls. Yes, you've had another break-in, the alarm's going. And we'd be chasing these scallywags with our jackets across the roofs of Longside. That <laughs> was carnage. Why did Diana have your braces? Well, yeah. was it about them? Well, she, I don't know, she just must have gone. She they might not even been ours, but we used to make ones very like them. And so this is what used to happen with Diana. She would go out, she'd wear to some event, you know, some fashion item. And the next day it'd be the hottest thing. And braces, some of you may remember in the mid eighties were massive for women, all different types. And we used to do hundreds of different styles and so millions of them. It was just, you know, one of those moments, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we employed all these lads and particularly lads and girls, but, and it was really their chaotic lives because we used to have a prayer meeting and we used to pull all the staff in at half eight, read the Bible and pray every day. We'd get these kids coming in who just completely looked like they'd walked into an asylum or something. You know, they just thought we were crazy and uh, they knew nothing of Christ. And you could tell by the lives, you know, it says in, in the Psalms, we all know, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is by living according to your word. And we had this massive sense that here was a completely unchurched post-Christian community growing up on our doorstep. So we were looking for churches that could connect with them in the locality. Literally couldn't find any in 1987 in Longside that could connect with these kids. There were one or two who were meeting, you know, behind barbed wires with the alarms on to keep them out. 
So really, it was that that prompted me and Simon, my brother. So even though you run a business, the gospel is right at the heart of it, even at that very embryonic stage, Andy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and I was a youth leader in the local church and would do evangelism on the side whenever possible. I made a commitment at 12, a concert by a band called The Sheep, which is such a bad name, isn't it, for a Christian <laughs> band? But never really lived it until I fully came through at 17, fully surrendered everything to Jesus. I think Eric Delve came along to our church. Remember him? Amazing. What a, ma- what a preacher. What a great evangelist. Eric preaching about the cross. I was just done for, and that's it. So, you know, I'm all in. And, was that uh, when he was at Withenshaw? No, it was. I did go to the Withenshaw one. I think it was about two years previous. I think Withenshaw was like 79, and this was 77. I was 17. Eric was the Youth for Christ evangelist with you, Roy. He but, was. Yeah, it was and, amazing. What a guy. What a model. To hear him preach about the cross back then was like the most incredible thing. And so fully surrendered all to Jesus. But I really believe that back then God gave me not just a, a heart for him, but a heart for the lost and I wanted to tell everybody about him. And I was, you know, the youth group's evangelist. And that was my thing, really, whenever I could go into schools. And so it was natural to think, how do we use the business and the resources? And we were pretty successful back then. How do we use that for the kingdom? Give us the transition out of business into a ministry. You couldn't do anything else, obviously. The, the ministry started, or did you just initiate something, Andy? What happened there? It was all a bit mad. So we did, we basically... Self and Simon decided we were going to write to every church in Manchester and challenge him about mission. And then we decided, you know, we need to do something. And one afternoon at a fashion fair, we had this idea, let's book the biggest rock venue in Manchester for a week. Nobody knew us. Let's organise Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. And we had this dream going on. And I remember driving back from that fashion fair full of excitement. And like, we're going to do this. We're going to organize this huge mission. We're going to get hundreds of churches involved and see thousands of kids want for Jesus. And then I got home and, of course, had these thoughts. Eh, you can't do that. You haven't got the money. You haven't got the resources. You haven't got the connections or the gifting. And I said, please, Lord, if you do want us to write to every church in Manchester, if you want us to book the Apollo Theatre and try and organize the biggest ever youth mission in Manchester, would you speak to me from the Bible? And my set reading for that day was an entrepreneurial verse. I was up to Isaiah 43, and we haven't left these verses in 30 plus years. They're on our wall in our main warehouse. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? There'll be rivers in the desert and streams in the wasteland. It goes on to say, the wild animals will honour me. I knew the Lord was speaking and said he was going to do a new thing in Manchester. And I phoned Simon up. We you those- employed some of those wild animals in your business. Completely. <laughs> Completely. They were. That was a great description of them. They were living like wild animals. But the Lord designed them to speak out his praise. So we did it. We bought the Apollo for a week, organized it. It did become Manchester's biggest ever youth mission, crazily, as far as I know. And then we did it again in 89. Andy, just tease it out a bit. So God spoke to you, but you must have put something in place because entrepreneurs, sometimes they have a dream. But making it become a reality, you obviously had to get your butt out and do the hard graft at the same time, Andy. Yeah. So we phoned a few mates up. You know, I I still talk about one of our core values being mates on a mission. We phoned up Mike Spratt, who headed up a big PA company and said, would you come on a team? A guy called Barry Crompton. You may remember him. He was the music guy. A guy called Dave was a youth for Christ, came over to seconded to us for a couple of years. And uh, we formed a little team 
to pull it off. And then we started visiting churches. And back then, some of the churches were called the Manchester Mafia. <laughs> Man- Manchester was actually 1987, a bit of a wasteland city. It was the steepest church decline. Young people leaving the church in droves. Biggest church in Manchester is about 300, I think. And oh, so wow. Was, yeah, amazing, really. And look back, wow, what God's done in those 30 plus years. And so we got a little team. We stepped out in faith. That's always a good idea. Started like working with churches are always our, you know, we live or die by our connection with local churches. It's down to the favor of God because God just, what on earth were we thinking of? I remember these pastors, the first, it was called ECMAR, Evangelical Council for the Manchester area. And oh, yeah, two- I remember they were a bit of a mafia. They were That's definitely, it. yeah. That's it. So we went to see them, but we turned up in really brash suits. We didn't know. We were in the fashion business. And they said, who are these young, brash guys coming like <laughs> into our meeting, telling them they're going to organise this massive youth mission? But there were enough godly men there, like Val Grieve and Clarence Jeffries, who said, no, these we need to get behind these boys. And they did. How old were you, Andy? I was uh, 27. So 27-year-olds listening to this, you just did it, didn't you, Andy? You had no, you'd never booked the Apollo, you'd never, it was a God thing that you just thought, I'm going to have a go. It was a God thing. We obviously took godly counsel and we got in the Bible and we prayed. If you get an idea and those things line up, there's a conviction in your spirit that this is right. Of course, evangelism is always right, but on this scale, the Bible is really speaking to you and your prayer life. And then you get godly people around you and they say, yeah, we do believe it's God. Go for it. Risk everything. First guy we met, pretty much one of the first guys said, oh, I've had to sell two houses to uh, fulfill what God said to me. I was like, oh, great. Here we go. So it was a massive journey, massive journey of faith. And during the build up, 18 month build up, braces went out of fashion as well. So suddenly we had millions of yards of elastic in our factory and all these staff. So suddenly we went from making a fortune to really struggling financially. And that's a weird one, isn't it? But how much God was on it. And then somebody, Mark Pennell's my mate, said, would you come in schools with me? He's a singer. So I started doing probably half my time out of the business, driving my brother mad. It's going around all these inner city schools. So we would do schools work. He would then do his music. I would come on, do a bit of a rap in his last song, and all the kids were mad for it. So we then decided we were going to form a band, me and Mark. Never part of the plan. And sometimes I think the entrepreneur sees those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you see and you milk something. God does something, but you have to run with it. And I think Worldwide Message Tribe, it was only ever meant to be an inner city schools band. But, wow, God bless that. You know, I love that verse... 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, I'm sure you know it. The eyes of the Lord range the earth looking for a heart. That man, the Lord says, I will strongly support. And I, that's what God saw, I know, in 87. And Andrew, you're always a man full of faith, but you must have some sleepless nights or something where you think, I'm really out on a limb here. The finance is tight. Everything's tight. It's not all a plain ride, is it? No, still am. And the financial pressure has been the hardest thing especially when God's spoken. That very first message 88, you know, we got to the other side of the mission and we still owed six grand. I remember it clearly. And we we were right, right up to our overdraft. Brace has gone out of fashion. And we just were like, Lord, you know, we need to pay this Apollo bill today. And, and we've got a VAT bill to pay tomorrow. And that's it. You know, they were the last two bills. And we just prayed, me and my brother, days before mobile phones, walked into my house, feeling like oh, a phone rang and a woman phoned up and said, 
I'm an 87 year old lady and I'd like to give you some money. I was like, what? And she said, yes, I've heard about this wonderful work you do with young people. And I had all my money in this Barlow clouds and there was a crash. And I said, if I ever get any back, I'm going to give it to the youth. And so she said, I'm going to give you 3000 pounds. And I went round with it. I said, I'll be round in 10 minutes. <laughs> I went round with a bunch of flowers, <laughs> collect the check. And uh, she actually gave us £4,000. And then the day after, we got £2,000 in the post. And it was like, wow. But medicine. you've done that ever since. And now you're yeah. living with millions, Andy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I'm sat here looking, you know, yeah, we're doing this, the biggest mission Manchester ever seen now, Festival Manchester, 30-odd years later. And it's the same old, same old tedious stuff. Because we did that in Festival Manchester, we did it again. We created something out of nothing. I was with Youth for Christ. We managed to get Mike to shut down Soul Survivor and ship the whole lot to Manchester. You've always had this kind of spirit of the big and let's just push out as well as local and what you're doing there, Andy. Do you remember Mike Pellavacci writing an article in Christianity magazine saying, by the time you read this, there probably won't be a Soul Survivor because <laughs> we're not going to be able to pay the bills. But it's all going to be worth it to reach the loss. But of course, God, I literally, you know, had young woman came up to me on that mess that was message 2000 now obviously the faith muscles grown message 2000 is a lot bigger than message 88 we had the arena for 10 nights and 11,000 kids oh, it's massive it was massive massive budget but i literally had a girl come up to me give me an envelope hundred thousand pounds and a, what from a dad's trust yeah one of the sort of delegates like this like she looks about 19 and then we had an offering and it was like insane and like from the kids it was like hundred and something thousand. And the money came in, but just crazy last minute flying by the seat of our pants. But God does honor faith, faith based on the promises of God. When we've heard the Lord, when we've got that godly counsel on the back of his faithfulness, we need to keep pushing. And I think, Roy, that God's really been speaking to me through parable of the talents. And right now there's two choices. We can either try and hold on to what we've got, bury what we've got, protect what we've got, but if we do, we're going to lose it. Or we can step out and try and multiply it because the harvest is on. It's a unique moment in time. People are seeking the Lord. And some churches are going to desperately try and hold on to stuff and like batten, you know, batten up the hatches, stop the mission, try and keep the people giving. Andy, you've never out. done that. I've never known you to do that. You are, I mean, you said you were a salesman, but you're an evangelist for the yeah. gospel. And you just have this spirit that that people just catch and you're now doing groceries you know what's that all about Andy how did that come about give us that story yeah so that's been amazing so at the start of lockdown you know we were like so many others like rabbit in the headlights you know what do we do everything's shutting down all the schools work all the buses all the prisoners work all the big events everything was shutting down and so but on our doorstep is this huge council estate. I think it's the biggest in Europe, Withenshaw, 110,000 people. And of course, it happened so quick that the families weren't getting their free school meals. They hadn't sorted the benefits out. It's just carnage. So they're really struggling. So we got a list of all the free school meals families in the locality and started delivering out. We delivered tens of thousands of meals out to these families. But we'd also always have a scripture and always offer prayer. And so for quite a while, we, I was just going out, knocking on doors, delivering <laughs> food parcels. Door to door came back in, Andy. Yeah, it did, yeah. And it was beautiful. And we said lots of tears and lots of salvation on doorsteps. And But we were scratching around to try and find food. And we went up to Wigan and saw this project with my son, actually, Sam, 
went over to Wigan and there was a not a Christian project, but a beautiful project where they had like a, a grocery where it wasn't food bank. You just turn up and for three pound, you can have this many items of fruit and ambient tins, yeah. sort of everything, you know, you can do a proper shop basically. They have a trolley and there was support courses and a cafe. And we came back, like, we, we should do this. So needed. And uh, we started getting food from. But there's the entrepreneur again. You see something and you think it's not in our place, but we need to create it. Yeah, that's it. See, I'm doing a new thing. God's not run out of ideas to see the Great Commission fulfilled. He just wants some people who perceive his ideas. And when you hit on his ideas, wow, this is a God idea. And so it's a platform for the gospel and it's feeding people, but introducing to the bread of life. You know, I often say my job as a Christian entrepreneur, is, yeah, to see the God's new thing, but also to keep mission hot and keep prayer hot. Really, that's my job description. I remember you saying your kind of hero was the Salvation Army at their beginning, where the core was always serving the poor and the most vulnerable, but the gospel was front and centre. I remember you preaching on that and putting that out there because William Booth, Catherine Booth, they were kind of heroes of yours, weren't they, Andy? 100%. So my, my great-grandfather, Captain Robert Hawthorne, was first Salvation Army missionary to India. Small group of them went out and, and right, right about 1887. And you read about those days, wow. I mean, it was crazy, radical, Holy Spirit stuff amongst the poor. Whole regions getting saved and crime stopping in whole regions and God pouring out his spirit, signs and wonders, all-night prayer. And I feel like Genuinely, we have a mandate now to reinvent what they were doing. It was never the plan, but if you look at the Worldwide Message Tribe, and now we have five of these bands at the message, much better than Worldwide Message Tribe, but it's the music of the charts and the nightclub, yeah. which is what the brass bands were. Never meant to be collecting money on a street corner. It was evangelism. It was the music you'd never have in church, and they had prison ministry, had prison gate ministry, they fed the poor, they moved people to live in the slums, which is we've done, they provided jobs, they set up match factories, but... Booth's thing was, first, we're a salvation movement. So gospel front and centre was the poor, but also entrepreneurial. It's just amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, I love those Booth quotes. You know, he said, we tried we tried everything and anything to reach the poor and the lost, and if things didn't work, we threw them overboard and tried something else. <laughs> they were so, see, I'm doing a new thing. I've got this mad video of William Booth, because, you know, he bought two of the world's first Model T Fords. Nobody's ever seen a motor car before. Thousands of people <laughs> following behind William Booth in a Model T Ford. And he, then he's standing up preaching as an old man with a long grey beard in the Model T Ford. I mean, so radical, so like constantly thinking, what's the new thing to reach this generation? Crazy. And he never lost it because his final, I mean, we're on a bit of a roll here. His final preach at the Royal Albert Hall was, we've got to go for it. We've got to go for it again, wasn't it? But, I'll fight. Well, while there's one lost sinner, while there's one lost soul, there's one poor woman, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. I've got it on our wall here, the message. That's it. Got to keep fighting because my little talk tomorrow for the message is all about God's the great reconciler. God wants to reconcile mankind and his way of doing it is by using ordinary jokers like me and you, Roy to just reconcile men to God. What a privilege. And it's still front and centre to you at the moment, Andy. And what would you say to someone listening? They probably look at you. You've been at it, I don't know, 40-odd years. You're still going for it. 
they're just starting out. They, they look at you, maybe they see you as, wow, I could never be an Andy Hawthorne. What, what, do you, what would you say to them, Andy? What would you kind of give them here now today? I would say just make sure you develop, you know, a deep personal relationship with Jesus, focus on spiritual disciplines. If you're a natural entrepreneur, get up and go atom kind of person, that can be the bit that, you know, and you start doing your own ideas rather than his ideas. But the way to perceive God's ideas is through devotional walk and through prayer. And so I'm constantly testing the prayer temperature here, the message. And we're spending more and more time in prayer, seeking him. So make sure you seek the Lord, but go for it. And people look at the message and yeah, whatever, 11 million pound turnover and 180 staff and all these programs around the world and all this crazy stuff happening. But that, like you say, that is 30 odd years work. And it was a couple of us having a go. And I was willing to leave the business and make the sacrifice and downscale my lifestyle and just make those steps. And you look back and you think, how the heck did that happen? You keep hearing this new thing and you keep stepping out and God favors you. The amount of times God's opened doors. I mean, I remember now way back when we had our idea for message 88, I remember the first thousand pound check somebody sent me. He said it's a thousand pounds. And I just couldn't believe that anybody would invest in the vision that we'd had now you know to be honest it has to be a hundred thousand pound check to get me to do a lap of honor around the building but that's what happens your faith muscle grows you step out your connections as you need it and i know you know i was i remember meeting reinald bonke and he was in realms of regular needing million dollar checks i remember gordon and rachel hickson saying to me they helped run his ministry she remembers the day when the million dollar check started coming, just crazy level of faith. To be honest, we are getting there and God is introducing those people and opening doors and it's an amazing journey. But faith breeds faith, so step out in faith. Impossible to please God without faith, but nothing's impossible for the person of faith. And I think the, the principle's the same, isn't it, Andy? I know, but the principles is exactly the same, but we've got to really step out, be entrepreneurial, more than we've ever been in the present climate. I don't think, it's a bit like your talents. I don't think this is a time to step back. This is a time for the entrepreneur to see things and just step out and do it. Yeah, because it is a new landscape. It is out there in, in, for good and ill. You know, it, we can't do church the same. We can't do mission the same. We can't just think, carry on the same old, same old after everything that's happened. But honestly believe this is our time if we can grasp it if the entrepreneurs spiritual entrepreneurs kingdom entrepreneurs can rise up and go for it especially go after those who don't know jesus and go after the poor because you know that's what touches his heart and i was that whole parable of the talents thing felt like the lord said i'm going to show you what it's like to be faithful with much and i really want that you know i want to take a lot of people to heaven and do a lot of stuff for him but he said what he says after that is well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, what's the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is heaven populated, isn't it? The joy of the Lord is the poor blessed, the things that touch his heart. When you're close to him, you feel it. They're the things that get you excited. And for the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. And his, when he went to the cross, he was thinking about me and you in heaven and multiple billions more who are going to be blessed through what he went through. Now, that's the most exciting bit. Let's duck and dive on the back of that. 
let's work out some ways to make that known in this generation. Let's do some new stuff and we'll fail. We dust ourselves off. We get what we go again. And I always love, I remember Billy Graham saying, Lord, if you can trust me to do something for you. And that was always his prayer. It was like, can you trust me? Can you trust me with millions? Can you trust me with the poor? And Andy, you've been amazing. You've been an inspiration. You are a star. What you've built, and your heart is still, there's still more. And this year's a big year for you, isn't it? You're still going for it even this year. So we now have advanced groups, which is our evangelist training groups in 83 nations on earth. And by the end of this year, we'll be on half the nations and kind of under the radar, we're just seeing these groups multiply all over the world, which is amazing. And we're launching another 12 of these groceries this year. And we're organizing Manchester's biggest ever mission, <laughs> Festival Manchester in July. Plus we're keeping everything else going. So yeah, it is a very big year for us. But uh, what else can you do? You know, what, uh, what else is worth living for? Correct. And what a privilege, actually. I know it's got some hassle and some challenge, but what a privilege to do what we do in this context. It's amazing because we see salvation. We see people coming to faith. What a joy. There's no greater. Yeah, of course. And, and that we get to do that for God. That's incredible, isn't it? So the grocery here in Withenshaw has planted a church and I was there yesterday. We had one lady stand up, say, I came to your Christmas event and I was so broken, suicidal. I was thinking about how to kill myself. I'd stopped eating. I was down to five stone summer and nobody knew what to do. Nobody could get me eating. I was just so desperate. And then I preached the gospel and she came forward, gave her life to Christ. And she said, I just know some joy and I've put three stone on and I've not been able to stop eating. And after like that moment is like the best moment in the world. If you only had to show for 40 years is Teresa, it's worth it. If you believe that forever. Andy, we could talk forever. You've got so many stories. You and I are mates on a mission. Thanks for joining me. I'm thrilled that Andy was able to join today. Thanks, Andy. God bless, mate. Cheers, Roy. Thanks, Andy, for joining me today. As I said, I told you to be inspired and encouraged. And I pray that some of the ideas that Andy has stepped out in will just encourage you to step out in your own way and be a gospel entrepreneur. If you enjoyed Gospel Entrepreneurs today, it would be great if you were to leave a rating or a review, whether you're listening and how to share the podcast with other entrepreneurs in your life. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another guest. Gospel Entrepreneurs is a UCB podcast in partnership with Revelation Trust. So until next time, God bless you.